Amen. Well, it's great to be here with you on this Labor Day weekend, the launch of a new sermon series and the launch of this church as Summit Point Church. And all of God's people said, amen, man. Appreciate it. Love what God's doing in the place. Love what's happening as we're going after this name, Summit Point Church. Just a quick reminder, why that name? Where did it come from? The word summit really has three different meanings to it, all definitions that are valid for the word summit. The first, it's this definition of gathering of like-purposed people. A gathering of like-purposed people, you know, like when you call a summit meeting, right? Gathering of like-purposed people. And then the second one is actually more a verb. It's when you're ascending up to that highest place, you know, when you're summiting, right? The verb of going up. And then the third one is actually the high spot, that high place where you take that spot and you're breathtaking away the view of what's going on in all that's happening, right? You are on the summit. And so there is this gathering, there is this ascending, there is this experiencing of our God, there is this high point, and so we'll use these words, belong, pursue, and experience. That's what we're going after. May we be that church that belongs. We gather as a like-purposed people to make much of him, that we belong, that we pursue. We will ascend to the high points of who our God is and where he's at in our life. May God get all the glory. We will pursue and we will experience him. And all of God's people said, dude, that's what we're going after. I'm fired up about it. This series is called Summit Life. Like, what does it mean to be able to ascend to that high top, to gather together, and to experience our living God? That's what we're going after as we walk week by week through this series. It's going to be a different facet of what we can experience in our God, all that He is, and all that He pours into our life. So do me a favor, turn with me, if you will, to Genesis Chapter 22 here today, Genesis 22, as we dive into this first opportunity of experiencing our God, this is, we can experience his provision, our God providing for us in huge ways, comes from Genesis chapter 22, and how do we experience a God who provides? Well, the first point, first step, trust God's word and his character. Trust God's word and his character. It's what he says and it's how he acts. May we lean on him, may we trust in him with all we've got. So let's jump in starting in verse 1 of chapter 22. He says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And Abraham said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Let's just hang right there. Let's make sure we understand the lay of the land. Abraham, he was called forth by God and sent to a place. God was communicating with them along the way. He said, just so you know, I'm going to do a huge work through you. The nations are going to be blessed through you. It's going to be amazing what happens with your offspring. And then Abraham and Sarah had no kids. And no kids, and no kids. It was devastating. 
At one point, Sarah was finally fed up and just said, just go be with our servant, Hagar. Have a child with her. That must be what God wants because it's not happening here. And, and so go there. And, and Abraham, not being wise at all, <laughs> said, oh, it sounds like a great idea. I don't know what he was thinking about, but he ended up saying, fine, we'll take this in our own hands. And, and he ended up going and being with Hagar. They ended up having a son, Ishmael. And later on, there was some angels that visited Abraham, and they were like, just so you know, this time next year, Sarah, your wife, is going to be pregnant with a child. And Abraham started cracking up. He's like, I'm 100. She's 90, man. This is crazy. This is absolutely nuts that that would happen. And, and later on, Sarah caught the same word. She started laughing. So actually, when Sarah did get pregnant, because when God promises, things happen, and all of God's people said... So when Sarah did get pregnant, they ended up naming him Isaac, Yitzhak, which means laughter. Like when we heard you were coming, we just cracked up. You got to be kidding. That's not going to happen. And Isaac, and Isaac and Ishmael were the two kids that now Abraham had. And one of them he took into his own hands and made happen through sin and the other through listening and following the promise of God. Isaac was the son of that promise. Now we see in the terms here in this uh, Hebrew terminology that actually Isaac is probably a little bit older by the time we get to Genesis 22. Probably somewhere between 13 and maybe even older than that. Maybe even up into the 20s. And uh, he's seasoned in life a little bit now. He's a young man. Okay? That's where we're picking this up. Abraham has Isaac, his promised son, whom he loves who is supposed to be the one that's going to bring all the offspring into the universe, bring blessing to Abraham. He has loved him and known him for years and years and years. It says, after these things, that's what we're talking about. After these things, God tested Abraham. God tested Abraham. He brought him through a hard moment that Abraham might grow. God tested Abraham. He was walking him through a path that was going to challenge his trust. God tested Abraham. He said, Abraham, here I am. Abraham responds. Always a good answer to be able to respond to your God. Simple question. Man, do you know the voice of God? Now, in this day and age, we tend to not hear the audible voice of God, but I'm telling you, do you know the content of the voice of God? Do you know the challenge of the voice of God? Do you know when God is calling you through a hard time and you're ready to walk with him? Are you ready to say, here I am, Lord? Abraham, super aware and attentive that this was God speaking into his life. I'm telling you, you know the moments when God is pressing in. You know the moment when there's something going on and there's something that needs to change and God is pressing and challenging and communicating with you. The answer that is appropriate is, here I am, Lord. Make yourself available. As God is calling out, be willing to respond. God says to him, take your son, your only son, Isaac, note he says your only son. Why does he say that? He should have two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. And the reason he's saying that is because the one son that is from the promise that I have talked to you about that I am going to bless all the nations through, that's the one we're talking about. Take your son, Isaac, your only son. 
Just so we're super clear, Isaac and Ishmael, if you look at what's happened with them historically now, Ishmael has become the father of really the, um, the Middle Eastern, the Arabic nations, uh, ended up that through Ishmael ended up coming the Islamic religion that faith came out of, and Isaac on the other side, the Jewish people, and out of that then Judaism, and then finally ultimately Christianity as we worship Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, right? And so there is a massive difference between Ishmael and Isaac, and there is a massive war even going on today between these two names. And he's like, you take your son Isaac, your only son, the one whom I promised to work through, and offer him there is a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. You go to Mount Moriah and you offer him up as a burnt offering. Just so you know, the word Moriah literally means to be seen by Yahweh or to be chosen by Yahweh, to be selected by Yahweh, to be called out by Yahweh. All of those meanings kind of built into it. Go to the land of being seen by Yahweh. And you offer him up as a sacrifice, a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. I just wrote these words down. You know, it's a lot easier to trust when we're waiting to receive something than when we're trusting while losing something. It's significantly easier to say, Lord, I really hope you give this. That's way easier than to say, Lord, please don't take this away. What does this mean? And the trust that was being called for in Abraham as he was now on the precipice of potentially losing something. It says here, take your son and go to the land of Moriah and after that there burn, uh, treat him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So God's going to continue to direct him on this journey. It says, so Abraham rose early in the morning. God's like, do this. Abraham's like, got it. Next day, he's like, time to go, boys, right now. Stand up, let's get this going. When you know that God is calling you to something, it is time to move now. And all of God's people said, he's like, so it's time to get up early in the morning. Let's go after this. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and he arose and he went. Notice all the details of the verbs there, of all the different things that he was doing. As it slows down and makes it clear that this was a hard and arduous moment for Abraham. Like, slow down and imagine every piece of wood you're cutting, the saddle you're putting on, as you're tightening it up, and what your mind is running on as you're going off to follow through in this trust moment. He arose and went to the place of which God had told him. He went to Moriah. It says, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. On the third day, dude, that's a lot of walking. In fact, we know from the prior chapter, he was in what was called in the Hebrew, Beersheba. Beersheba is what we would say in the English. Beersheba. And he was coming from Beersheba up to Moriah, moving up. It's about 50 to 60 miles to the north there. It would take you about two and a half days of walking. So on the third day, he arrives there. Abraham looks up from a distance and sees it from afar. 
Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Really important that we grasp this. In the original, in the Hebrew, that's in the plural form. I and the boy, we will go. We will worship and we will return. Don't miss that, man. This is a massive moment of Abraham's faith and trust. He's like, listen, God promised that through this child, there would be blessing and offspring, and my God does not lie. Something's going to happen here. There's going to be a promise fulfilled, and I can't put all this together, and I don't understand it, but I'm telling you this, we're going, and we're worshiping, and we're returning. That's what's happening. Abraham had a passionate understanding of God fulfilling promises. Our God fulfills his word. And all of God's people said, to what level did Abraham think this would be fulfilled? Well, actually, if you go to Hebrews 9, 17 and through 19, it actually says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac and he who had received the promises, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered, Abraham considered, that God was able even to raise him from the dead. Hebrews, making it really clear. Abraham was thinking, look man, I'm going up there and I expect that God's going to say stop. But, but maybe not. Maybe I'm going to have to follow all the way through. And if that's true, then I'm telling you this, then he's going to raise him from the dead because there is promise with this boy. And that's the way it's going down. God will make good on his promise. Abraham, as he wrestled, as he struggled, as he was taking high anxious moments, also had high faith and high trust along the way. I will go with the boy, and I will worship with the boy, and I will come again. We, we, we. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and he laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took, his, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And Abraham said, here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Now, you got to imagine how that goes down. You can't just read this stuff and move on. you got to imagine that you're somewhere between 13 and 20 years old, maybe even a little older. You know what's going on. You've been a part of these burnt offerings with your dad before. You're setting it all up. You're getting the wood. You've got the fire. You've got all the things you need, including the knife. And as you begin to walk, you're like, hey, pops, uh, you forgetting something? Like, we're going somewhere here, dad, and we got a plan. And and we're going to be doing this offering. Where's the offering? Right? And I didn't want to say anything when we were leaving, dad, but like, we've never had it. You know we never brought it, right? Did you forget Or what's going on? Isaac is asking asking a super practical question. But I'm telling you, this is the most thunderous 
worshipful question that could ever be asked at that spot they were standing on. As Isaac asked the question, where is the lamb? You now fast forward from the time of Abraham all the way forward to the time of Israel in that area. They've established the city of Jerusalem some thousands plus years later, right? They've established the city of Jerusalem and in the city, in the spot on Mount Moriah, they have set the temple in the temple on the rock itself. They have put the Holy of Holies and every day at that spot, there is sacrifice of various forms. And there is the sacrifice of animals for sin that's taking place, and that's not all. Just a little bit off from there, still on the edge of that mount, Jesus Christ himself will be sacrificed. He dies and rises again right on that spot. Man, don't miss this. As Abraham is talking to Isaac and as he says, hang on, we're going away and we're going to worship and we're coming back. He's like, you get this, right here. There's some serious sacrifice going on. And Isaac says, where's the lamb? And that John the Baptist, so many hundreds of years later, says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Man, I'm telling you, Jesus Christ, ultimately the total solution to what this passage is talking about He is the hope of all that is being brought forth. And Abraham and Isaac are having a practical talk in the moment about an animal. And Isaac asks, where's the lamb? Ultimately and finally, Jesus Christ is that lamb for you and for me. Him for me. Everybody say, him for me. Man, don't miss it. Jesus Christ, that replacement lamb for you and for me. For our salvation. He says, hey dad, I understand what you have going on here and I see all the stuff, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide. Do you understand the thunderous level of theological statement that is being made as they are standing on Mount Moriah? God sees, God knows, and God chooses as they are standing right there. And Abraham says, God will provide. God provides the lamb. Hang on. We're going on a worship moment. He said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. Isaac and Abraham moved to that spot to be able to establish the worship moment and the sacrifice as they put full trust in the fact that God will provide. And you got to imagine that as Abraham is looking and saying, my son, his life is at risk, but God is going to give a replacement lamb. And now you take a look at where we stand with the story of the gospel message. And our life is at risk because of our sin. But God will provide the replacement lamb. And his name is Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, man, don't miss it. This is a massive summit life worship. 
May we meet our God, the one who provides the sacrificial lamb for us, that we might have life and life eternal. Trust is a massive deal. And Abraham thunders the statement, God will provide. Everybody just say, God will provide. provide. Louder and bigger. God will provide. Don't miss it. Don't walk past it. When he says it, he'll do it and he'll follow through. God will provide. Trust. You know, we have a lot of biblical counseling that we do in this church and we love to come alongside in the middle of heartaches and hurts and to be able to care for people, to be able to take the word of God and bring a little bit of truth and an understanding of who our God is in the midst of that journey and to be able to walk that. And and I'm just telling you, oftentimes trust is one of the hardest things to wrestle with. Trust. I call it the triangle of trust, right? The triangle of trust. We really can't fully trust our God until we embrace this, that our God knows everything. That's one corner of the triangle. He knows everything. He can do anything. And he loves you with all he's got. He knows, he can do, and he loves. That's the triangle. And if one of those pieces or more is a mess, like I'm not sure if God knows everything. I'm not sure. How can we trust a God to have it in hand when we're not sure if he knows what's going on? Or how can we trust a God to have it in hand when maybe it's bigger than him? He can't do it all. If his power is limited, maybe this is a problem that I'm trusting him. Or if God doesn't really love. Maybe God does know it. Maybe God can do it, but maybe God doesn't care to do it. If God doesn't care for me, if God doesn't love me, my trust wobbles. Man, have you ever been in a moment where God is calling you through some of the heaviest, darkest stuff you've ever faced and the trust was beginning to wane? Have you ever been there? Where you're shaken by what you're facing. Think of that trust wobbling. Put yourself back there for a moment. Was it that you thought God didn't know what was going on? Like if somebody said, hey, God, did you know this? He'd be like, really? I had no idea. Like, is that it? God doesn't know. Is that what you were thinking? Or were you thinking, I don't know if God can do this. I don't know if this is something he has power to do. I don't know if he's able. Or was it, I'm not sure he cares about me. I'm not sure he loves me personally. And that love being limited, maybe he just holds back on the rest. Trust. One of those three or more is broken if we don't trust. Are you ready to trust your God? To admit that he knows all, to admit he can do all, and to see that he loves you with all he's got. Are you ready to trust And this is a huge journey. The journey of trust 
in this broken world is a hard journey. And there will be moments where it will shake you to the core. But I'm telling you, God says, I am love. And I love you with all I've got. I can do all and I know all. Hang on. It doesn't mean that everything in this world goes smooth and easy without any struggle. It doesn't mean that. God walks us through some of those struggles to grow us up. May we not look into the face of a struggle and go, see a problem. God must have kicked his feet up and said, not right now, I'm not going to help. May we say, Lord, you're working in this. I'm just not sure how. I'm not sure where, but I'm trusting you. Look at Abraham. Lord, you're working in this. I'm not sure how and I'm not sure where, but you're working in this. I trust you. That's the first step, being willing to trust. Second, fully obey God's word all the way to the end. Fully obey God's word all the way to the end. Fully obey. How much of obedience? Fully Don't miss that. It's easy to be obedient for a little while. It's easy to kind of do whatever you've been asked to do for a bit, and then you're like, all right, this is long enough. I've gone online. Now it's time for you to do something for me, right? Our full obedience becomes partial or even no obedience until we get a little of what we want, right? We start negotiating. Full obedience is what it's all about. Here we go. It says, when they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. That is one of the weirdest short sentences you'll ever read, right? Like it doesn't give you all the information. We don't know what happened. Did Isaac fight? Was he like, okay, son, hang on. And he starts wrapping the stuff around him and Isaac's like, I'm not hanging on anymore. Like, this is getting weird, Dad. It's kind of like you're starting to, wait a minute. Are you thinking that I'm going to... Isn't there a moment where you would expect a young man to kind of be like, nope. And you're like, push away. Maybe you take the rope. You start wrapping him up. Like, I'm not... You want, you want a sacrifice? I'll make you a sacrifice. Something, right? Like, it doesn't say what's going on. We have no idea. But somehow... He wraps him up. Could it be he was just being completely respectful? And he's like, all right, Dad, I'm trusting you. You said a ram was going to be provided. I'm hanging on. This is getting more and more creepy along the way. And he's laid on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took a knife to slaughter his son. He literally was going to follow through, and you can't miss that moment the love and the depth of relationship. And yet there's a deep love with his God and God is calling him to be willing to see the sacrifice happen. And he takes that knife to slaughter his son and literally raising it up in the air. You gotta imagine, man, this is not just like a, okay, well, you know, uh, well, here we go. Uh, like he's, he's in and he raises up and he's like, ah! Can you imagine what you're feeling inside? As you're like, all right, I'm trusting you, God. And, and this, here we go. And 
please stop me if. And then all of a sudden, as he raised up to be able to go after him, to slaughter his son, it says, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And again, that sentence doesn't capture it. Like, it's not like he went, ah! and God's like, hey, Abraham. Okay, I was kind of one. like, there is no casual to this. This thunderous statement from the angel of the Lord as he raises up, he's like, ah! and the statement goes, Abraham, Abraham. And he's going, ah! here I am, here I am. He was right on the edge. He was fully willing. He was following through. He was trusting his God. He was right there. And as God calls out, here I am, Lord, as he steps back. And in that moment, God says, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. Doesn't say it in here, but I got to imagine. I know if it were me. And I'm at the point where I've stepped back. I'm like, here I am. And he's like, don't lay a hand on him. Next thing I do, drop the knife. Right? Bam. Mic drop. Statement made. I'm not doing it. It's over. You've stopped it. And uh, he says, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. He's like, now I know you have. I've put you through this test. Can I just ask you a question? Is it that God didn't know? Or did God know exactly where this was going? He knew where it was going, right? God's like, now I know. And let's be clear. And now you know. See, when we get walked through a trial... When we get walked through a moment where we have to trust, the reality is we're not even sure we will as we go through it, right? How many times have we walked through and we're like, I don't know. I mean, I'm in, but I don't know. I'm not sure, and maybe not. And I, okay, I'm in. No, no, I don't know. And we're back and forth and we're in and out and we're trying along the way. And as we finally get through the backside of it and we've made it through this trust, God's like, see, you can do this. We're together on this and you're trusting me. We've got this thing in hand. God's teaching along the way. And God's ending up revealing as he basically says, I want you to know that trust is shown in action, not just in statement. And so we've walked you through the action and we've gotten all the way to the point. And now you have shown your trust. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold. And when we see the word behold, we say, check it out. Behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. Again, it doesn't say it, just filling in the gaps, but can you imagine? You're getting ready to go down with this knife and slaughter your son. You raise up, trying in full obedience with your God. You go, ah, and you hear, Abraham, here I am. Don't lay your hand on. Drop the knife. Don't do it. Now I've seen it. I understand, and you understand. 
Your faith has been shown in trust. You've grown. And Abraham turns, and there is a ram stuck in the bushes. You have to believe in that moment. He was like, unbelievable. I knew it. Maybe there was even tears. There we go. The Lord provides as he goes over to the ram and ends up taking him. And it says, and Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Everybody say instead of his son. And so Abraham was called to a test that was never going to go all the way through, but God wanted him to come all the way through that side of it to begin to trust. If you actually go back and look at the prior 10 chapters, Abraham had some real problems trusting God. He was struggling along the way and he would do it for a little while and then start lying and trying to get out of and God was bringing him on a path. It was instead of Abraham's son, but hear me, man, on that exact mountain and that exact place, hundreds and hundreds of years later, it would be God the Father's son, Jesus Christ, who would be sacrificed right there for you and for me. Where's the lamb? His name is Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, man, may we grasp This massive power moment as Abraham is able to grab a ram, a replacement offering on Mount Moriah, the exact spot where Jesus Christ went to the cross. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. Can you imagine, like if they made t-shirts in that day, Abraham would have had a t-shirt that said, the Lord will provide, right? Like an amazing opportunity for him to remember always and forever, the Lord will provide. Everybody say, the Lord will provide. provide. Louder and bigger, the Lord will provide. Louder and bigger yet, that's the name of that place where Jesus Christ ultimately would be sacrificed for you and me, where Abraham went to take Isaac, but God called it up short and saved his life and gave a replacement lamb. May God get all the glory. The Lord will provide. It is, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. On that hilltop in Jerusalem where the temple used to be, where Christ was sacrificed, know this, the Lord will provide. We can have life and life eternal. As we believe that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, as we confess him as our Lord, dude, that's saved. Believe and confess. May God get all the glory. It's a huge deal. It's all about salvation. It's all about replacement lamb. It's all about our God loving us. God sees you. God loves you. He knows all. He can do all. And he cares with all he's got. Trust him. And obey him to the full. You know, I was looking this week at some illustrations. And I ran into this illustrate 
uh, Arabian horses were being trained. This is a little bit before they had vehicles that could go all over the desert, so they were having to train these Arabian horses to be absolutely courageous and tough, and they're one of the toughest uh, horses there is. They've got this strong, strong ability to handle pain and, and to tolerate. And so the Arabian horses, they get trained at this very high level, and they were interviewing a guy. I actually watched a couple of audio things and video things and uh, checking into some of what they had going on. But this is one of the stories of how they trained. They would take the horses, and they would work them hard for months and months and months. They had to be absolutely obedient. They would get them to the highest levels of obedience through these months and months of training. And then the final graduation test was the three days long of arduous training in and out doing everything that they normally do with full obedience to their owner, to their master. Never a drink of water. Three days, no water. Then they would get done with all the training at the end of the three days. The horses are weak without the water. They bring him near a lake and they release him. And the horse starts thundering towards the lake with all they've got to jump in. And as he's running along, the master takes his whistle, blows the whistle out loud, calls the horse's name, calls him back, here! And that horse needs to skid to a stop, turn on a dime, and bolt back with all he's got. And as he gets back to the master, body quivering, body just sweating and perspiring, absolutely on the edge of and needing that water, sitting there shaking and breathing out loud, this master puts his hand on the muzzle, holds him close, and he gives him a drink of water right where he's at. And then he says, release! And he runs back to that lake and dives in and cools off like you would not believe. What a cruel way to train. Right? Like in our modern Western, we're like, what in the world? But you got to understand, in the desert, you would often go three days without water. And then what happens? Mirages. And all of a sudden, you think you're seeing water, and you need water. So you bolt. And I don't care what he says, I need water and he's wrong, right? That kind of horse dies in the desert because of a mirage. They're teaching him to not do what his will currently wants, but trust the master over him. How are you doing it obeying fully? Not doing what your will wants, but trusting your master over you. Whatever he's walking you through, taking it all the way to its fullest obedience, may God get all the glory. Whatever the journey, full obedience. What is it God's calling you to be fully obedient in? No pulling up short, no doing your own thing. May it be all about him. And last, point number three. Humbly receive whatever God chooses to pour into your obedient walk. Humbly receive whatever God chooses to pour into your obedient walk. God blesses in so many different ways. And as we trust him and as we have faith in him and as we obey him, God does an amazing work. However he chooses to bless, man, celebrate that. And uh, he says here, when they came to the place 
Sorry, wrong paragraph. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, because you followed through in obedience. Here's what we're doing. I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sands that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the grace or the gate of his enemies. This huge moment of promise. Listen, massive blessing to you. Offspring in huge numbers. Your offspring will actually possess the gates of your enemies, meaning they will be safe. The enemies will not. They will actually have victory. Enemies will not. He's like, hang on. Massive blessing to all of your offspring that's going to come from this one son, Isaac. Got to remember, he's hearing this as he's standing next to his young man, Isaac, who has not taken a wife or had any kids. Massive numbers of offspring. Blessings galore. Like the sands of the seashore. That's what's going to happen. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Now some read that and they're like, so there'll be really nice things that happen. Maybe the Jewish nation is actually helping other people, those kinds of things. That is not what this is talking about. Capture this. This is a really big deal now. Theological moment, Genesis chapter three. Adam and Eve are walking through and they sin. There is a cost of sin and it's being explained out. And as the cost of sin is being explained, the statement to the woman is there's going to be pain in childbirth. There's going to be hard work and hard stuff going on for the man, right? And then he says, and the snake will actually bruise the heel, but your seed will crush his head. This is all about the seed. From Genesis chapter 3, it's all about offspring, And from the offspring of Eve, somehow there will be a kid somewhere downstream that will crush Satan's head. And through Eve comes Abraham, and through Abraham down into Isaac comes all the way to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ goes to the cross on Mount Moriah. He is our replacement payment as he dies and as he rises again, him For me, he crushes the head of Satan. It's over. Amen, man. We have hope because of Jesus Christ. He is the offspring that we are all blessed through. And all of God's people said, may we believe that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and may we confess him as Lord. Trust and obey and you watch God rock your world as you go after Summit Life. And all of God's people said, our God provides in every way, in every form. And what are you wrestling with that you need to hand to him? Maybe it's salvation even today where you hand it to him, our God provides. May we lean on the one who died for us and rose for us at Mount Moriah, all for his glory. And all of God's people said, amen, man. 